Welcome to the 7th Art Podcast. This is Brian Robertson. I'm a producer for the 7th Art, uh, which is a video magazine on cinema. Uh, Joining me is Christopher Heron. Hello. Chris is the host of the video magazine, which is to say that he sits down with filmmakers and talks to them about their craft. What you're about to hear is an interview from 2012 from the Toronto International Film Festival with uh, Greek filmmaker uh, Athena Rachel Zangari, who um, is probably best known for being in Linklater's uh, Before Midnight, maybe is that? That's well, how I mean, she's like best known. Well, I wouldn't. Maybe I mean, obviously, she's best known for for Attenberg and um, her first film, which is um, it's all the business, right? And she produced Dogtooth and uh, Alps as well. She's acting in Before Midnight, and she's amazing in it. Yeah, she's really funny. Ah, she's funny. This interview occurred. Mm, Almost a year before that came out, yeah, so exactly. it does, it's not a topic we discuss, no. but uh, we're actually, the occasion for the interview is she made a, a installation piece, well I'm not even sure you could call it, it's a short film, but it's part of a multimedia piece, it's called The Capsule, it's a film that was uh, commissioned by uh, the DESTE Foundation for Contemporary Art, and it features her collaborating with uh, an animator, a a uh, fashion designer. Mm-hmm. There is, it is a real collaborative mm-hmm. uh, a film, and it's really interesting. Um, and I think that we spend a fair amount of time talking about that film, for considering sure. the fact that it's I a think, short film. Yeah, and I mean, we only we only really sat down and talked to Athena for maybe uh, what you know, 45, 50 minutes. Which is pretty good. It was a good time. Yeah, I mean, I think when she sat down with us, I think um, she had no idea what we were about. And um, it seemed as if she was like a little hesitant or, or uh, guarded at first, but um, she quickly opened up. And I think that's the cameras. I think that the cameras always result in. Well, I remember her. I remember her sort of. I think when she, when you got her talking about how she loves Michael Bay, <laughs> she the, the kind of tone changed a little bit in the interview. But it got yeah. There was a fun quality there, but I, I really do think it was the. Um, I think it's the cameras, because like, I remember I picked up uh, Athena at the Films We Like office, and um, we walked over in the rain to the uh, OCAD U studio space, their professional gallery on-site. Right, um, which is where we were sort of uh, conducting all the interviews. Yes, and, uh, and in that walk, we had, a, we had a good chat. We talked about uh, Migo Gomesh. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember what else, but she, yeah, she was in good spirits, very friendly. Has she been in town for long at the point? Yeah, I think that she, with the festival, it's interesting. You have the filmmakers that are, are getting an opportunity to maybe see some things. Um, I think she was coming from a screening and then maybe ran off for another mm-hmm. one, which I, I, if you can do that, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, some are, are being bogged down with a lot of uh, interviews, but uh, we were thrilled. I mean, Athena was especially on your list, one uh, uh, filmmaker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had, I mean, I, I was a, a huge, I, a huge fan of Dogtooth. I saw Dogtooth. Um, before I had seen any of her work, um, I saw a double feature of Dog Tooth and Attenberg. Right, yeah, yeah, at, at the Royal Cinema, um, which is an amazing uh, double feature. But um, obviously, I just became a huge fan of hers, and I, uh, I wanted to meet her. And um, she was just super sweet and really cool, and uh, just like really accessible. And yeah, we talked about. Uh, I think uh, you mentioned the, the Michael Bay and, and the, her interest in sci-fi, and that was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. That was near the end of the interview. Yeah, well, but I mean, she it was also weird. I mean, because she's 
she's a, what would you call her surreal like a bit of a surrealist or a bit of like an absurdist yeah there's some surreal imagery I, I, yeah but for her to tell us that she was really interested in american action films well her her, her slow business of going does kind of have an interesting science fiction component in the and same Doctors, way that like course. the borges or, or something like you know those okay. those surreal formalist uh, writers also right. kind of play with some right. some genre elements yeah, we apart from talking about that, we also talk more. Um, I, I wouldn't say seriously, but more. Uh, maybe there's a bit more earnestness in the conversation about elements of Greek culture that she yeah. grew up with that kind yeah. of inform her work. Uh, uh, there is this push to discuss like a new Greek cinema, yeah. or I hate the use the of new wave. wave yeah, right. like it's like Romanian new wave. Yeah. It, it tends to just uh, lump people together right. because of their nationality, and it right. may not be a a coherent kind of school that's going on yep. but she does talk to the the context which i found really informative of what the current greek situation is and how that is informing right. these films um and i think Attenberg especially that was it you or was it uh, our third uh, seventh third uh, cohort pavin who decided to put one of our four cameras I think, <laughs> outside i think what happened at this point we had interviewed uh maybe seven different filmmakers and we were kind of getting tired of our standard setup. So we, I think, when it, when Athena came in into the gallery, there was a camera on a ladder and there was a camera outside, and and so she was kind of just wondering what was going on. But she she got it obviously. Yeah, I was really thrilled with this interview. Um, I'm sure you'll like it. And uh, without further ado, here's Athena. Enjoy. Dagis Johanu is a mega super art collector and uh, he has this project that called, that's called uh, the Desti Fashion Collection where basically what he's been doing for the last six years is um, inviting artists from different disciplines to choose five pieces of uh, fashion or some, something resembling fashion and uh, then incorporating this in a, in a piece of art. So, so far it's been a photographer, a painter, a poet, and it's the first time that uh, he collaborated with a, with a filmmaker. So, um, you know, I really wanted to find stuff that was not haute couture, mm. per se. I, I wasn't interested in making a, a you know, fashion film. So together with uh, my assistants and researchers, we, we looked online to find people, fashion designers, who were working with the idea of, uh, of clothes as sculpture. And you know, that's how you know, we kept going from the one to the other. Um, and there was one very important discovery, which was Ying Gao. She's a Chinese-Canadian designer who's based in Montreal. And uh, she works with, uh, uh, set, you know, with sensors and with 
interactive smart clothes. So she she donated to the collection this dress that um, reacts to light. It has sensors and every time there is a light beam that's falling on its beautiful um, kind of orchid-like uh, shape, it starts moving. So then a combination of these clothes, uh, Sandra Backlund, she uh, donated this amazing uh, coat that's made out of human hair that Ariane was wearing. Anyway, it was fun. It was really like visiting a completely different universe that I had nothing to do with. Uh, and then figuring out what to do with this. It's almost like someone giving you five words and asking you to write a story. So this was my you know, limited dictionary that then I had to uh, transform and invest into a story. And then um, somehow completely Intuitively, I, I connected these five pieces with um, Alexandra Walishevska's work. Mm. She's a tremendous Polish painter. And uh, so I visited her in Warsaw and we discussed the film and we discussed which of her paintings perhaps we could use in order to create a story. Um, and then, you know, somehow naturally, you know, step by step, without actually knowing what we're going to do in the end, uh, the island of Hydra came into play. The idea of uh, a bunch of women um, entrapped somewhere and actually not really being able to leave or stay alive or die. Um, then those girls those amazing, talented actresses came on board and somehow, <laughs> you know, it was like a, almost like a game. Um, and we shot it in three days. And it's a capsule. <laughs> it's a capsule of something that, of a bunch of different people who came together. I like that you use the word trap because that's an element of the capsule, maybe the more negative connotation, but something can be trapped in a capsule or, as the case may be, egg, like the images of eggs or can maybe that like womb-like chair structure. Mm -hmm. And even the house. It, the house made me think of 18th century uh, English novels where women would be trapped in these kind of yeah. castles. Yeah. Was, was that a motif that you were kind of playing with or a theme? Uh, I was interested in exploring that. I've never done anything like this. And I'm more and more interested in, in genre mm. and working with genre. So I guess this is sort of like my, um, my attempt to like horror, fantasy, vampire, whatever. <laughs> um, and also, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the fact that this kind of literature didn't really exist in Greece. Mm. We, didn't, we never went through this like Victorian, although, it, you know, we were part of the Ottoman Empire back then, and we were hardly a, a nation, and we hardly had literature. But that island where, um, 
the capsule was shot was a very important island for the uh, for the independence of Greece yeah. because uh, it lots of ship owners lived there and they were the ones who led the revolution against the the Ottomans and there was actually a couple of women you know very powerful women who were um, captains themselves who led the revolution so there was this idea of um, captured women who at the same time are very strong and, eter and eternal. Mm. And they're also often hiding when they're discovered and welcomed. They're, they're each individually welcomed, but they're initially hiding or, or contained within something. They're be, they're be, the idea is that they're, they're being born mm. by the house itself. So they are born, they, their, their life cycle is four days, and then they dissolve the same way they they became alive or apparent through that structure, and then they are replaced by similar um, doubles of them. Mm. At the same, at a certain point, she tells them that uh, you know she is their origin. Um, And, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm always interested in, in this idea, like in Attenberg and in the slow business of going, um, the idea of uh, this um, this sort of like secret society of, um, of competition, envy, desire that exists amongst women, especially young women who are coming into their own. Um, so it was, it was interesting to create this capsule, you know, this situation where there is no escape from and everything is very ritualized mm. um, to, to reenact this, you know, quite cruel relationship between women. Um, I mean, imagine what kind of what kind of envy and what kind of um, uh, curiosity there was amongst these girls, you know, who were like watching each other, trying to to become the best, to attract the attention of their master. You know, it's things like power and discipline is something that uh, is interesting to me. And, you know, the the, the the birth of desire through that, and the tyranny of desire through that. Even before they compete, though, I find it interesting that they there has to be a type of uniform, like both literally, like what they're wearing, but also op occupying the same position, and then that leads to inevitably some form of competition. But they're always always wearing the same thing. And you did you, you design the the dress yeah. with the yeah the the black dress mm. with the white color. There was also a, you know, there is a film by Kakoyanis, Greek director. Mm -hmm. um, his, he mo his most uh, known film is Orba the Greek. Mm -hmm. He has made a couple of 
masterpieces. And one of them is called um, The Girl in Black, mm -hmm. that was shot in Idra, the same island. And um, Ellie Labetti, the, the main actress, was wearing a similar dress. And Kako Yanis died this year. Mm -hmm. So in a way, you know, going back to Idra to shoot um, a film with strong female characters, something like 50, 60 years after he shot The Girl in Black was, you know, some kind of another life cycle in Greek cinema and my homage to, to him. Um, did I answer your question? Yeah, <laughs> I've actually looked into that period of, of Greek cinema before in, in school and it's interesting how kind of the influence of Italian neorealism came in, but it was, mm -hmm. it was matched with stories that, as you say, they had strong female characters in many yeah. of them in that period. And a huge influence from Greek tragedy. Mm, yeah. Um, which is something that, you know, I'm, I'm always inspired by. And I think in all of my work there is some kind of reworking of a, one of the cycles mm. of Greek tragedy. And, and the cycle in this, culminates with a kind of uh, ascension to the heaven by the, the master. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also, there's a, it's tied up with the goats as well. And it made me think of slow business of going with the, the end, near the end, where there's the story of the, when the, the grandmother is about to, to pass away, the, the ritual kind of killing of one of the goats. A lamb. Yeah. Oh, lamb, yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, I grew up basically in, in this kind of environment. I, both my grandparents were farmers and the idea of living with animals, killing animals to eat, petting animals, you know, sleeping with little, you know, little sheep or, you know, it was something that I grew up with and to me it's very much part of uh, what it is to be human mm. and it's a big part of Greek culture um, and also goats they are kind of like holy re religious animals in our in our tradition and to tell you the truth I just like the idea that these girls have goats as uh, their pets as their friends I mean, I have no other way to describe or explain <laughs> that. You know, there's some things that you just just like as images, and it's best not to try to mm. figure out too much what it means. Because sometimes it can be scary, and you have to go to a psychoanalyst. <laughs> <laughs> it did make me think of the, the moment in Attenberg when, when her father mentions that the Industrial Revolution was skipped over and it was just sheep and mm -hmm. farming and then this uh, move straight into industry and the relationship with kind of time in your films and history. Yeah, I mean, both Attenberg and the capsule have been, you know, have been shot after the beginning of the, you know, Greek depression. Mm. So this, this sense of entrapment and you know, this kind of like endless cycle of death that never ends. 
um, and the inability to actually really transcend your fate. Mm. Um, and the mourning of your ancestors and the anger for your ancestors' mistakes. You know, all of that, whether I want it or not. And when I write, I never say, okay, now I'm going to make a film or I'm going to write a story about um, the Greek crisis or how fucked up my people are or, you know, the empowerment of women or something like that. Um, I don't consider myself a, you know, so-called feminist. I am a woman and I make films, so I don't know if I need to sort of like you know, defend or speak about my my films as like f female films. Mm. I kind of have a big of a problem with that. Mm. Well, I was thinking that uh, with talking about time and history, and one one moment in slow business of going that I really like is kind of the philosophical question of whether it's the wanderlust is a kind of mm. um, association with amnesia, and they, or whether and the other side of the argument was that stasis, like not moving around, creates a kind of amnesia. Mm -hmm. Because Attenberg also seems like there's a cycle where there's not a movement out of this sphere. And uh, the father does seem the most aware of kind of the past and, and where things are going. But those who kind of don't pay attention to these things try and can tend to get trapped up in them. Yeah, the, I mean, this has been an ongoing battle, a personal battle of mine. Mm between uh, the almost compulsive desire to keep moving and um, the necessity of a pause of, you know, being tied down to a location, to a home, to a family, to a place, yeah. a culture, a lover. Um, a husband, a child, you know, all of that stuff. I think this also, I mean, when I made Slobbies, I was, you know, I was still a student. Um, but already I had been, um, I had been traveling a lot. I was living away from my country and the whole, um, you know, the whole, the whole way we made the Slobbies of going was, just picking up and going, you know, and moving, sort of like a little nomadic film family. We were very personally connected, we were a bunch of friends, we were going out with each other, um, we loved each other, we were discovering cinema together, we were kind of like, yeah, a, a small nomadic group that was learning life and at the same time learning cinema. Yeah. And we did that at the same time as going to film school, but in a way this was a much more, um, you know, helpful yeah. film education. And that lasted about uh, four years, on and off. You know, every time we'd get a grant or get some kind of sponsorship from an airline or a hotel, we'd just like go to Cuba or, <laughs> you know, go to Japan or go, and the whole idea behind it was exactly to demonstrate something that's my thesis, that everything is so, 
this was kind of like the beginning of the realization and also it was 11 years ago so it was the beginning of this idea of of this sense of like homogenized space where basically it doesn't it doesn't really matter where you are you know when you leave when everything is so globalized it's actually very difficult you know to feel the feel the, the singularity of your life and of your culture and of your language. Um, and then moving to Greece uh, afterwards and basically going back home and trying to be connected, reconnected with it, um, it's been very difficult because um, I went back to Greece at the point where Greece itself as a place could not recognize itself, was falling apart and I could, I could feel this uh, sense of alienation in my, you know, in, my, in my people, in my peers. So this estrangement that was in the slow pace of going of this woman basically who can never stop, is not allowed to stop, that's her job, which is kind of like a, a metaphor for what a, a filmmaker is. It's like compulsive, full-time professional wire. Um, so then when going back to Greece, I sort of like, whether I wanted to or not, I put myself back into this place of a, of a native wire instead of a foreigner wire. Well, in Attenberg, you have the kind of opposite, where there's a, a, a kind of tourism spot that's empty, and, all, and especially during the, the credit sequence, when you're setting up this space, mm -hmm. it's all the shots are empty. Even the, the hospital, the more, more or less, is empty. And there, it, but it should be, based on location, something that's filled with people staying, coming, going. Um, we actually shot it in a, in a sort of like an industrial relic of a town uh, which is still a company town that belongs to the to the factory that's nearby but it's actually a ghost town mm. it's uh, it's the end it's a, it's a place where I grew up oh. up until I was six and then mm. we moved to Athens but you know we kept going back there every summer and you know my father used to work there and it's, um, to me it was interesting going back to, uh, to Greece and having thought of, you know, a story between a father and a, and a daughter. Um, I was interested in placing it in a place that was uh, very symbolic of what I thought of Greece. So this kind of like ghost town, empty, almost like a, a theme park of, of itself. Um, where these two girls basically are trying to to, to grow up um, and the father is who built this town is dying and the girl is uh, basically learning how to be a woman you know I didn't really want to to stage it in, into a naturalist environment you know realism that I didn't think that was appropriate for a, 
for this kind of story. The, the use of music in, in that film and in cap, the capsule is interesting to me because in both instances it seems like the music is almost like instructive. It's something that is a map or, or something that mm -hmm. is teaching the characters that enjoy. So mm -hmm. you have suicide and you have the horse with no name. Yeah, it's like a musical. It's mm. like the use of music in a musical where the music parts illustrate or complement the story. It's a different use of the structure of a musical. Mm. I'm really interested in that and I always work with uh, found music that is either important to me or I discover it and it becomes an integral part of the, of the narrative. And in, in, in the capsule, it, it's almost teaching the, the women to kind of engage with it or to dance, to yeah, move. Yeah. Well, that, that was our uh, attempt for entertainment. <laughs> they learn how to have fun. Mm. You know, they learn how to discipline themselves, they learn how to eat, they learn how to dance, how to walk, um, how to betray each other, um, how to tell on each other, you know, the basic stuff how to hate, how to love. Um, and then by the time they, they learn all these things, uh, they're gone. Mm. Which is exactly how life is. <laughs> it's visually like also, like maybe that's the irony of that scene, it's a visually it's a confusing scene as well because you have the, the sun coming through the windows which is creating a lot of lens flares. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of the frame is out of focus, um, and it doesn't appear that anyone's playing the piano, but you can hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so as much as they're trying to learn things, it's also difficult to orient yourself as a viewer in mm -hmm. that, that space. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's also a recurring use of slow motion, which I wanted to ask you about in the mm -hmm. capsule, and what appealed to you about that technique for, for the story. Uh, well. You know the the accompany the accompanying piece of capsule is an installation. Oh, okay. So, and it's a it's an installation that we presented in New York, and we wanted to present here in Toronto, but there were some technical problems involved. Mm. So, you know, that's like the second life or the um, the second phase of of the capsule. So in that there was, you know, there's two channels. It's a, it's actually a, a 3D project mm. um, where, you know, through some kind of uh, illusion machine that, that we built that is very much like a, a reference to the early, um, you know, like vision machines. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so through a trick that we created with 3D filters, if you look through um, a part of the apparatus that we have built, mm. which is a, a grid, you see the same, you see the action in slow motion, and then when you look at it, or you, you see different parts of the action. So basically there is this dialogue between time and um, some kind of like cubist mm. approach to the same scene where depending on which cell you look through, it's sort of like a, a honeycomb kind of thing. Yeah. 
So depending on which cell you look through, you see a different angle and a different time treatment of the of the scene. So it creates this like very disorientating um, and hallucinatory kind of uh, game, sort of like uh, you know, like in a in a fun house. Yeah, yeah. I don't really like video art installations yeah. per se. You know, I, I like this kind of fun engagement between viewer and the spectacle. So that's what I try to create. So, you know, the slow motion is sort of like a, a relic from the, from the installation. And I don't know, I thought it was interesting to sometimes pause and stretch some moments, you know, like the kiss between the mistress and the, and the student. It calls to mind kind of the observational qualities that are in, especially Attenberg and, and the capsule, where in Attenberg it's associated kind of with Attenborough and the, the, the documentation of, of animals. But in this, it seems like you, as a viewer, you're aware that you're observing almost like a, a science experiment or something. Yeah, exactly. That's a great way to put it. There's, there's an interesting thing that happens in the, the ordering of the, the story as well, which is that the scene where they're all walking with the, the lambs uh, out, out um, it recurs throughout, mm -hmm. which makes you aware, when you first see it, you think that it's just another scene in the order of the scenes, but then you, you realize that it's kind of been, it's one moment that's been placed throughout. And Attenberg has something similar, which is kind of the walking in unison. Mm -hmm. um, when you first see it, it's just a scene, but then it, it comes throughout. And I'm, I'm wondering what, what the function is of those, those moments. In Attenberg, it was, it was the dance animal kind of scenes were placed like a chorus. Oh, yeah. You know, in Great Tragedy, mm. you always have the chorus that comes to interrupt um, and, you know, give a pause to all this tragedy and then a commentary mm. also. So it was... Uh, I don't know, I, I, it seems that lots of the questions are about the way I structure my films. The Slow Beast of Going was also like a, an epic of structuring and restructuring and moving from essay to fiction to um, animation, you know, to diary, to screwball, slapstick, <laughs> um, you know, everything. So, I don't know, I, I, more and more I, t I tend to choose to be completely unapologetic about it and, and just say that, you know, the, the masters that have been my mentors and that have been, I've been admiring and I've been, desperately trying to uh, copy, steal from, emulate, or, um, you know, there are people who have been very daring with structure, yeah. with uh, cinema, not only just as a means of um, representation and as a 
as a visual rendering of literature mm. or of music. And uh, I, you know, like Bresson or Godard or you spoke about talking to Ernie Gear, for example, mm. uh, Chris Marker. I think it's, you know, if you work in a medium, it's fun to break it apart and put it back together. You know, sort of like you're a little kid in an attic and you, you just have your puzzle pieces and you constantly uh, destroy and then the next morning you, you make something else. And this is part of the joy of working. Part of the joy of working, period. <laughs> you know, to like build and break apart things over and over again. Um, for the capsule, it was, you know, it was another, um, uh, another, I like doing things that I know nothing about. You know, I hadn't, I didn't know I was going to make like a quasi horror fantasy yeah. film. And I didn't know that I was actually interested in, in, you know, vampire films. And I was, you know, like I had a quick crash course couple of weeks before we started <laughs> shooting, <laughs> you know, just to see basically what the expression is when someone bites <laughs> someone's neck, you know, stuff like that. And how is it when, you know, the, the victim falls and uh, shakes her body, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the choreography of bodies. Mm. And that's why, for example, I, I you know, no one could probably um, suspect this, but I'm completely crazy about action films. Mm. Uh, the Bourne trilogy, and especially, you know, Green Grasses mm. one, to me is like a masterpiece. Mm. So that's something that I'm really interested in, in making, since I'm, you know, I'm constantly um, attacking genre in my very idiosyncratic way, but I am considering myself like a, a genre filmmaker. Um, I, I really want to work with action. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like full-on action. <laughs> <laughs> Is there...? Yeah, with American actors, why not? Um, but, you know, it, uh, of course, it will have something to do with some kind of like chase across the world, you know, something <laughs> where I can incorporate as many places, cities, um, as I can. Is there an intersection between, like, the use of bodies in action and just dance choreography? Of course, you know, like, when you see a, a Michael Bay movie, mm. I'm always, like, completely fascinated by the way all those flying, exploding bodies, things, robots, cars, whatever, um, are choreographed. Mm. I think they're, you know, the, some of those sequences are masterpieces into themselves. You know, my hat off to the guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have no taboo over, uh, you know, what we call avant-garde film or experimental mm. film or Hollywood. Absolutely not. I'm completely against this. And I think that, you know, if I had the budget and if I was working in Hollywood, I would, I would have no problem, you know, working with it. With within this kind of uh, genres and this kind of productions. Um, the way that people like, um, you know, 
John Ford or Howard Hawks or all these, you know, original auteurs were working within a studio system and they would just hand them a script Monday morning, okay, this, the next month you will be doing a western and then <laughs> you will be doing a musical and then you will be doing, and they did the best they could lending their own voice. Mm. And to, to me there is something really dignified and, and, um, and purely no bullshit artistic about that, that I really admire. And unfortunately it's not like this. Mm. And somehow I think we have regressed to a much more conservative uh, understanding and approach to film, which is, you know, full of taboos and sides, you know, which side are you? Like art house cinema or Hollywood or serious European or um, you know, whatever, meditative Asian or, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Like comedy, yeah. bromances or romances <laughs> or whatever, you know? And I think that there is a way to like combine all of them in, in more idiosyncratic uh, ways that are not necessarily obscure or non-commercial. When you're talking about Michael Bay, it made me think of one thing that action films have is a usually a very sophisticated sound design, mm -hmm. and your films tend to as well. And I, I think I remember you saying that you kind of had the sound in the script when you were working on the capsule. I was wondering what that process was. Um, yeah, I mean, it was the same with all of the films, yeah. all three of the films. Uh, that sound is, to me, is equal to the image. It's as important to the experience. So I always make little notes on the side of the script of what kind of sound design or what kind of sounds we have to capture, record at the same time as the image. And, um, you know, with a capsule, with uh, my two sound designers, with Leandros and with Matt, you know, we processed a lot of the natural sounds that were going on in the island and around the house. So it was, the idea was to create a score because listening to the capsule, it's like if you just listen and not watch it, not have the image, it feels like a score, which is uh, using processed natural sounds. So it's like all the insects of Idra during springtime and the sea and all the different wind through the different surfaces, the different crevices of the house and basically the house as an organism, that mm. was the idea. And also the idea of this house as a big hive. Mm. So there's, there were lots of bees and, and all this was punctured, so sort of like in a minimalist core through the uh, recurrence of the shutters, mm. these very heavy shutters that were opening and closing, which in a way they were kind of like cries of the girls mm. who couldn't get out. <laughs> it, it made me think of a, like the hull of a ship, or like mm. maybe like the slaves moving the, uh -huh. the oars or something like that. Well, that's a good um, parallel. <laughs> I also thought I heard a record player a few times. Yes, yeah. very good. Is that, was that what it was? Or, yeah, yeah, we actually um, used 
um, we used a sort of different um, hisses and and um, static, yeah. electronic static from like very old video cassettes and um, record players being stuck in very old records, um, <laughs> you know, using old records. Yeah, sort of like evoking all these like natural um, sounds that would give body to something that you know, didn't have music per se. You know, how can you dress silence? You know, in a way where basically it's not full on silence and it's not just room tone, but it's something that has this kind of like cottony feel mm. about it. You know, it's like a bit like plunging into a wool blanket or something. And it's very difficult to recreate that. You know, we had to talk a lot to figure out. I kept saying, I want something that's like wool, something <laughs> that's like warm and fuzzy and at the same time it's like the opposite. And they were like, okay, I think now, <laughs> let's see. And in the end, you know, I, I happened to watch a um, very old, uh, early uh, video on YouTube and I noticed the, the sound of it, you know, this kind of static and I, I was like, that's what it is. <laughs> Okay, bring VHS tapes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it took a while to finalize the sound um, for the film, is it true? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we worked uh, for Locarno and then we, I mean, we took a break because we had another pr uh, film production during the summer mm. and, and then just a few days before I came to Toronto, we did it again. And now with the DCP, Fortunately, or actually, unfortunately, you know, you can like keep mm, yeah. working on stuff. It's, it's, it doesn't have this kind of finality of a film print, which I really miss. Actually, I was completely against the idea of showing on DCP, but in the end, it's practical, and there is no going back. Mm. So we might as well uh, give in to the emergence of and the kingdom of the pixels. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when you were shooting the film, you had, you, you didn't know who was gonna be the, the, the winner of the, the, the kind of competition that was going no, on? No, not really. Yeah. That's something that, um, you know, I knew some of the, of the actresses, but the other half I didn't really know very much. So, and I love to work with the personalities um, of the actors that I work with and we really develop stuff together and I normally rehearse a lot a lot a lot a lot and this time there was absolutely no rehearsal you know so I basically send them the so-called script the day before they came so they were completely unprepared and I think that was probably good because there was some kind of innocence and and um, lack of self-consciousness that came into the shoot. And then in the end, you know, just by noticing how each one uh, reacted and, uh, you know, somehow, you know, and the way, you know, when you, when you see people through the lens, you kind of like fully 
have this um, very intense connection. Yeah, so Isolda emerged as uh, as the one who would want to kill the others and, <laughs> and be teacher's pet, basically. She was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, as a character, she's completely the opposite. Completely the opposite. <laughs> you know, she's like so tender and so nice and so fun to be around. But, you know, she gets in front of the lens and she's completely transformed. She's incredible. It was really amazing to work with all of them, actually. and. Uh, a few of them are not even actresses. Uh, Denise is an extremely talented young Turkish director who lives in Paris, um, whom I, have, I had met in Istanbul a few months before. Um, I was mentoring at the Sundance Labs there. So I met her as a director and invited her and she was great. Uh, and then Sofia is, a, is an architect who designed the installation part. Oh, okay. Ariane mm. is from Attenberg. Uh, Clemence, uh, an amazing French actress. Um, and then Aurora is um, a young actress who I met in Greece and she's, uh, you know, half Greek, half Belgian, half Rwandan. <laughs> And um, I had seen her in uh, Venice in uh, the Chantal Ackerman film. Oh, uh, the, the Joseph Conrad adaptation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like Captive. Mm. So Aurora was, and I met her on the boat because we're going to, at the same time, to Venice for Alps. Mm. So I met her on the boat and we exchanged emails and then she saw Attenberg and she wrote me a very nice email. And then as I was gathering sort of like the synthesis of the girls um, and I had to choose between different, you know, somehow very intuitively, um, I, I invited the seven of them. <laughs> and I think it was a very successful combination because they, it was so much fun between them and between the, all the crew and the cast. I mean, it was crazy. We're shooting every 16 hours a day mm. and having them do all these crazy things. <laughs> and at the same time, shooting the green screen for the animation. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, it was, you know, it was a little experiment. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it was necessarily just going to end up being a film. Mm. But basically, it was a as everything that I'm trying to do is is a, creating a, a, a capsule for an experience uh, between everyone. And, you know, right now, after all these years, through House Film, our company, it's, it really feels like working with a family and within a family, which um, has been stationary for the past five years, but now we might start moving again. Do you have a, a new capsule experiment that you're working on? Yeah, I have a couple. Yeah? So we'll see. Um, there is a film that I want to shoot back in Texas. Oh, okay. And then uh, there is a, a film that I'm writing right now that's going on between Mexico and Cuba. Mm. 
what genres? Um, the the Texas one is a screwball tragedy. Okay. Um, and but it's sort of like a my idea of a romance film. Mm. Very curious about that. Uh, the Mexico and Cuba one is sort of like a new idea. That's like a, a spy thriller. Mm. Um, and then there is a science fiction film that um, actually it's in full development right now. It's called Dan Caron that um, is written by my longtime collaborator, editor, partner, uh, Matt Johnson uh, and myself. And that's, uh, you know, that's sort of like our ambitious project that it's going to take some time oh, to be I made, see, yeah. but it's uh, it's kind of like something that we've been wanting to do since we were film students, since we met at film school, mm -hmm. uh, and we presented it this year at um, this script development market in Rotterdam called Cinemart. Oh, okay. And uh, it seems that you know got lots of interest, and we might be able to you know, sooner or later do something that's kind of like a, a bit more ambitious project mm. for house film. Are there certain science fiction films that you're, you, you particularly like that you would aspire to or? Yes, I mean, it is a, as, as with everything that I'm trying to do, whether it succeeds or fails, I really want it to be my take on my and, and Matt's take on science fiction films. He's a science fiction freak. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, he, you know, he's like a science fiction connoisseur. I come from like a more skewed left side to that, contributing uh, my own um, things, like combining Greek tragedy. Yeah. But the idea, you know, Greek tragedy elements to a story that's quite universal, but the, the basic, um, the basic uh, wish for this film is to be really, really funny. So, um, you know, Doctor Strange Love yes. is, is of course a, a reference, but also, you know, screwball comedies, you know, Hard Hogs, yeah. Breaking Up Baby. <laughs> Um, you know, basic, very basic science fiction films that, you know, whether you want it or not, they're reference films like Solaris mm. or Stalker. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, it's a gamble, you know, to make something like this. Uh, and creating, like, little characters. I'm really into our characters right now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, that we, we would ideally like to create, to, to sort of like build and then uh, CG, you know, work with a combination between, you know, handmade, sort of like the way, like the way Weta yeah. works is like a big uh, inspiration for us. Oh, sounds exciting. Yeah, you know, it's dreaming, mm. but um, why not? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for, for joining us.
Thank you very much.